there, folks. My name is Emily, and you are listening to E Pluribus Unum, a podcast in search of true unity, where out of many we become one. True unity comes from shared values, and in my opinion, and the opinion of billions of people around the world, there's no better basis for good values than the Bible or the Torah. So in this podcast, we learn applicable lessons from the Torah. We demystify the conservative viewpoint because conservatives are not scary. We're just misunderstood. And we talk about culture. Thanks for tuning in. When you have a moment, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and also leave a rating and a review when you can. I appreciate it. And it helps other people find the podcast. Today, we are going to focus on culture. So I have been watching Cougar Town, which is now a few years old, but that's the best time to watch a TV show because then you don't have to wait for the next season to come out. I've been enjoying Cougar Town. It is so cute. It's so funny. And I don't know how many of you listening remember when it came out, but at the time, people were making jokes about it because I think that was the first time as a culture we were introduced to the idea of a cougar, you know, an older woman who was dating younger men. And that is what the show started out as. And then it stopped being about that. And the show is very self-aware. They do these great title card things where they make jokes about the name. Basically, the writers, once the story changed, they hated the name, or at least that's the impression they give. It's a very fun show. It stars Courtney Cox, Krista Miller, and Busy Phillips. Three out of the other five friends have shown up. Jennifer Aniston, Phoebe, (laughs) and Chandler. I can't think of their real names right now. Anyway, so it's a really cute show, and I'm totally loving it, and I highly recommend it. Maybe a little bit more of a chick kind of show, but I think guys could like it too. But I want to talk about it because there were a couple episodes recently that got me thinking. I guess that's what good storytelling and good TV shows do. They get us to think. Even when it's something frothy and fun, there often still are messages purposely. And even if they're not purposely there, we we think about things. I want to talk about two episodes because I think it has interesting implications for where we are as a culture, or perhaps I'm looking way too deeply into a 30-minute sitcom. I'll let you decide. So the first episode I want to talk about is an episode where Courtney Cox's character, whose name is Jules, decides that she's not cool and all of her friends are cool. And how does she discover that she's not cool and they're cool? Because they've all done illegal stuff. Little illegal stuff, but illegal nonetheless. And I put, you can't see me, but I put little in air quotes. Anyway, so all of her friends are cool because they've done something illegal. So she decides that to be cool, she also has to do something illegal, and she decides she's going to shoplift. Her friend Lori takes her to a grocery store, and she's trying to shoplift a chapstick. She ends up getting caught. Her friend gets caught with her. Her ex-husband, who's also a main character in the show, also gets busted for shoplifting. So everyone gets in trouble for it, and stealing is definitely not condoned. Except in a way it is because all of her friends have done this before, but when they were young and stupid, they don't do it now. I'm sure the purpose of the episode was to point out that Jules does not have to do illegal things to be cool, or that she just can't because she's sort of a goody two-shoes. The reason it caught my attention is because I saw another show recently with a very similar plot, and I apologize that I can't remember what I was watching. When I watched this episode, it clicked for me that I had seen something so similar, or maybe I read something similar, and that's why I can't visualize it. But I definitely was entertained by something that had a very similar plot, that the character wanted to be cool, and being cool involved just like light shoplifting, you know, chapstick or 
a pen, you know, nothing major, not, not robbing a bank with a balaclava over one's head and with a gun or anything like that. Just light shoplifting. You know, no one gets hurt. A victimless crime. Not actually, but that's how it's portrayed. Stealing was treated so lightly. And it's a sitcom and people sometimes do major things in sitcoms that are taken as a joke because that's the nature of a sitcom. But not to steal is one of the Ten Commandments. It's not some little random law like that you can't have a, your pet ostrich on the bus. You can cross this street, but not Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. You know, there are all sorts of random little laws. But the commandment not to steal is directly from God, directly from the Torah. So even though in our culture, sometimes it's taken lightly, it's actually a very serious thing. And not just because stealing is not actually a victimless crime. When we're stealing from a store, obviously, if you break into someone's house, we're aware that it's not a victimless crime because you're breaking into someone's house, you're stealing directly from the person. I do think there's an idea that people have that when they steal from a store, especially a big store like Target or Walmart or something like that, that it's not really a big deal because the store is so big that they can absorb the loss. But they don't absorb the loss. And in fact, those costs are passed back onto the consumer, whether it's because they charge higher prices because things are stolen or because they have to hire extra security and the security costs more. So then prices have to go up to compensate for that. Whatever it is, theft is not a victimless crime. And on top of that, again, it's a big deal because it's one of the Ten Commandments, not stealing is one of the Ten Commandments. I guess what I'm wondering is, have we minimized the idea of theft? Does it not seem like such a big deal to people? Think about how we talk sometimes. If we're out with a friend to eat and they have french fries, we won't ask if we can have a french fry. We'll say, can I steal a french fry? And of course, we're not actually stealing because we're asking. And once you ask, you're not really stealing at that point. You're you're being given the thing. We bandy about the word steal in such a frivolous way. And then it's reflected in TV shows where shoplifting is kind of fun and cool and it's edgy, but it's not really bad. We know that entertainment and media affects the culture in a very big way. And I just wonder if people don't really take theft seriously, unless again, it's something major like a bank heist or kidnapping, which is theft or stealing something expensive. Do people think theft is only a problem when it's something big or when it's expensive or when there's violence involved? Mugging an old lady for her purse is theft, but you've also beaten up an old lady. I don't know the answer. I'm just wondering about it because our media affects the culture and our language affects how we see things. So the more often we use the word steal to talk about taking a French fry from a friend's plate, do we diminish the meaning of the word steal so that when real theft is occurring, it doesn't seem as big of an issue because we use the word steal for something else? I don't know the answer. I'm just something that struck me, again, from this, from Cougar Town, which is super cute and I love it and I totally recommend it. But when we watch TV or when we read books or watch movies, when we consume entertainment media, we have to be aware that it's having an effect on us. That's why a lot of my friends growing up who were very religious, they only consumed Jewish content, wholesome Jewish content that had good stories and good lessons, good values. There's a ton of Christian content out there. There's Christian music and there are all sorts of exclusively Christian streaming services and there are Christian books. I'm sure this holds true for other religions. What we put in our minds, even if it's just something silly and fun, can, does have an effect on how we see the world. 
and how we act. So we have to be sort of like with ads. We all think that ads don't affect us, but they do. Even if we don't run out of the house to get a Kit Kat every time there's a Kit Kat ad, that Kit Kat ad is still in our head and it's there. And then one time when we're at the store, it's just there subliminally. They just, these advertisers know what they're doing and they get into our brains and there's nothing we can do about it unless we become hermits and go live in the middle of a field somewhere. But the media that we consume has a really big effect on us and it's important to be aware of that and be more conscious consumers in terms of the content that we enjoy and to be a little bit more thoughtful about it. I'm not saying not to watch TV or not to listen to music or books, obviously, because I do all of those things. And I think it's really good to enjoy some fiction and get lost in the silliness of characters' escapades and their own dramas instead of our real life ones. Just be aware of what we're watching and what effect it's having on how we view the world. And also to be aware that when people write things, they write it with intention. They're trying to get across something. And I don't mean in a nefarious way, but when one is creating anything, I'm I have an agenda, right? My agenda is to share ideas that are important to me in hopes that I will open people's minds and cause more unity among people. Agenda is not a bad thing. It's just a fact. We all have agendas. And when we create something, that agenda and that bias is going to come out. So when we watch a TV episode where characters think shoplifting is cool, I, I don't know. Does the creator of that episode, is he trying to normalize theft? Is he trying to apologize for something he did in the past? Or maybe he's reminding us that theft is bad. Could be any of those. I guess I'd have to interview him to find out. The point is that there, that entertainment doesn't come from nowhere. Creators want to tell us something. They want to share a message. And we just need to keep that in mind when we consume content and just be thoughtful about it and how it's affecting us. That's all. Is the whole society going to crumble because we ask our friends if we can steal a French fry instead of having a French fry? No, probably not. But is it better to be more specific with our words and to not bandy about terms that actually have weight and significance to them? Probably. It's all just about being more thoughtful and deliberate with what we say and what we do. So that was the first episode of Cougar Town that I wanted to discuss. And then the second one in this episode, again, Courtney Cox's character, Jules, is having a yard sale and she's selling a bunch of junk to people that she knows won't work, like a vacuum cleaner that she knows doesn't work, an ice cream maker that's missing a part. And her friend, Lori, who's played by Busy Phillips, comes to her and says, karma's gonna get you. So you better be careful about selling all this stuff that you know is broken. And then over the next few hours, karma does get jewels, a couple of birds poop on her, a few other negative things. So she realizes that she better start doing some good so as to have good karma coming her way, or to outsmart karma and undo the bad that she did. And I was just wondering, this thought came to my mind, I don't even think as I was watching the episode, but after. People use the term karma a lot. And it's interesting to me that people are comfortable with the idea of karma, but not necessarily comfortable with the idea of God. And I'm talking, of course, about how karma is used in the United States amongst people who are not Buddhist or any of the other religions that have karma as a concept, which as I discovered in my very, very shallow dive into karma is a lot of different religions. So I'm not talking about people for whom it's a real religious concept. I'm talking about the people who 
bring it up in conversation when someone does something bad or when something bad happens to someone and says, oh, that's karma. Or when something good happens, the same thing, that's karma. And it's interesting to me that people are comfortable using the term karma, but not comfortable talking about God. I don't know what that is. It's just interesting. So in this shallow dive into karma, that I did, I discovered two things that struck me. This is not a lesson on karma. I am not even anywhere close to authorized to give a lesson on karma. This is just what I learned from a website that's a, it's like an intro to religions class in college in website version. Firstly, what I learned that karma in the Buddhist frame of mind, because karma does have different meanings, whether someone is Buddhist or any of the other religions or belief systems that use the term karma, But for Buddhism, it means action and specifically a willful action. So it's not some cosmic force acting in the world. It's actually the actions or thoughts or speech that humans do. And then there's the result, which was another term. So karma is the willful action. And then there's the result. Because we often think of karma as the result. Bad karma got you for cutting off that guy on the freeway. But cutting off the guy on the freeway is the karma, and then the result is something different. So I thought that was interesting. And then I found this explanation of karma from a book called What the Buddha Taught from 1959. The author is Walpola Rahula. He says, quote, instead of promoting resigned powerlessness, the early Buddhist notion of karma focused on the liberating potential of what the mind is doing with every moment, who you are, where you come from, is not anywhere near as important as the mind's motives for what it is doing right now. Even though the past may account for many of the inequalities we see in life, our measure as human beings is not the hand we've been dealt, for that hand can change at any moment. We take our own measure by how well we play the hand we've got, unquote. I thought that was also interesting, especially compared to how we normally think of karma as this giant scale of the world balancing the good that we've did and meeting out good in return or balancing the bad we've done by returning bad onto us and that it's not that, that we make choices about how we act and what we do and what we say and then those actions have consequences. That's a belief that makes perfect sense to me. Judaism feels the same way, common sense feels the same way, that our actions have consequences and that we are responsible for our actions and also responsible for those consequences and that we are affected by the past. Obviously, we're affected by the past, whether it's our own personal past and the choices we've made in the past or choices that our parents made or our grandparents made or our great-grandparents made, but we're also affected by choices we continue to make. There was some wording on the website that talked about a cycle and how we can continue to make choices that keep us in a bad cycle. And I was thinking of alcoholics or people who are addicted to drugs who probably are haunted by demons. So their present is affected by their past, but their present is also affected by their present. If they choose to continue feeding that addiction, then they're going to continue to be in whatever negative circumstances they are. So anyway, again, this episode is not a lesson on karma, but that was just some interesting thoughts on karma that I discovered while doing research for this episode. My bigger question is, why are people so comfortable talking about karma, but not the idea of God? And is it because there's this concept of God as being in control and people want to have free will, whereas karma seemingly recognizes more free will and then also the consequences or or result of the exercise of that free will? I don't have an answer. It's just interesting 
to me in the same way that I find it interesting that people are comfortable saying that they are spiritual, but not religious. And I hear that from a lot of people. And I don't think it's exclusive to Judaism, at least Christians. Also, I can't speak for other religions. Those are the two that I have the most contact with. But this idea that people will say they're spiritual and not religious. I also have questions about that. I don't feel that way. So it's not a viewpoint that makes sense to me. I have a few thoughts on it and a few questions about it. This comfortability with the idea of karma, but not talking about God seems to me to fall into a similar category. By the way, to clarify, in Jewish belief, we do very much have free will. And the fact that we have free will is of central importance to how we practice our religion. Even though God is all-knowing, that does not negate the fact that we have free will. It's a tricky concept to wrap one's mind around, and frankly, I don't think it's fully possible to wrap one's mind around it. There are a few key things to keep in mind to make to help one start to kind of understand it. The first is that God exists outside of time. So how we view time, which is this thing happens and this thing happens and this thing happens and seconds go by, we age along with it. God is not limited by time. He is past, present, and future. The best explanation I've ever heard for God being all knowledgeable, but us still having free will, is thinking of our lives as a movie. So think of your favorite movie that you've seen a hundred times. Every time you watch it, you know the ending to it, but you don't make the characters do anything, but you still know what's going to happen. So it's sort of the same with God. He sees the video of our lives. He knows what's going to happen, but he he does not make it happen. And that's where the outside of time thing comes in. Just as we're outside of the time of a movie, a movie exists in its own hour and a half reel of videotape. Well, it's not reel of videotape anymore. It's digital something rather, but it exists in and of itself. And we're the God's who see it and know what's going to happen, but we don't cause it to happen. So is God with our lives. We are limited in time and maybe we're on some sort of cosmic videotape, but he's outside of it and he can see what happens, but that doesn't mean he necessarily makes it happen. If I just wrinkled your brain, that's the nature of trying to understand God and free will. It's a tricky one, but I don't want to give the impression that Judaism doesn't believe in free will because we very much do. And it's very important that we do because we firmly believe that the actions that people take are important and they can't be important if we don't have choice about them. But I want to go back to this spiritual but not religious thing. It seems to me a legitimate way to feel, to say that one is spiritual and not religious. But I want to understand that motivation. First of all, what does it mean to be spiritual? Does it mean that one communes with God through meditation or through silent personal prayer, but isn't comfortable in a community religious setting, isn't comfortable with any one specific organized religion? Is it some sort of mind, body, spirit recognition that there is a part of our body or part of ourselves that is above the physical and therefore there's some whether it's specifically god or connection to the universe and i guess that's another part of it people who say they're spiritual but not religious are they connected to god or are they connected to the universe or the earth or the spirits of other people i don't know these are all questions i'm i'm not being judgmental of people who say they're spiritual or but not religious it is just not a way of thinking that i have it just I just don't understand it. I do wonder if there's some, again, this is not to be judgmental of people who feel this way. If people feel spiritual 
spiritually connected to something greater than themselves, but don't want to be part of a specific organized religion, I think that's probably fine. As long as a person's connection inspires them or encourages them to do good, I think that's okay. The, the point of believing in God is understanding that there are ethical demands made upon us so that we become better people and improve the world around us. So if someone's spirituality does that, I think that's okay, as long as their values are okay. But I do wonder where it comes from. Is it a rejection of organized religion? Is it a rejection of a perception of organized religion? And organized religion causes all sorts of problems. Because it can, but not because it's religion, but because people are involved in it and people mess up a lot of things, as we very well know. Is it self-centered? Is it a rejection of community, not even of organized religion, but of community? Is it saying, I feel this special connection to the world around me, but I don't feel connected to a community? Or is it even one step further, I feel connected to God, I feel that I can commune with him or with the universe, whatever that spirit is, but I don't want to be tied down by the moral and ethical demands that God makes. I just want to feel self-care and self-love and I want to eat well and be healthy and be good to people, but I don't really want to be told how to do it. I will say that as someone who doesn't feel this way, when people say they're spiritual but not religious, that's a little bit what it feels like. It just feels like a very self-centered way of being because it's concerned with one's own spirituality and connection to God, but not how one's connection to God has an effect on the rest of the world and what it could and should encourage a person to do, whereas my connection to God encourages me to be a better person and to help people and to educate people and to be kind because I'm part of a religion that encourages that. So I was wrong. I was a little bit judgmental, but I'm, I'm just trying to understand. And if this were a conversation, you would be able to respond to me if you had any feelings about this, but it's not. So I'm just going to be left wondering and all of this from an episode of Cougar Town. This goes back to what I was saying before. The media that we consume has an effect on us and makes us think. It's not always a bad effect. In this case, I think it's a good one because it has made me think about an issue, about a topic, about people who think a way that is different than I do. I never would have anticipated that Cougar Town would have made me think so deeply, but we don't always know where our new thoughts are going to come from. In fact, this ties in very well to today's entry from the Book of Jewish Values, which is a day-by-day -day guide for ethical living written by Rabbi Joseph Teleshkin. So he breaks the book down into 365 days, and each day he gives a different teaching, either from the Torah or from the Talmud or from Jewish tradition, something that is actionable that we can change right away in our lives to start living more ethical lives. So today's entry was about listening to ideas that are different from your own. He explains that there were two different schools just before the common era. There was the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. When you read through Talmud, there are often opinions from the two schools and they're often in conflict with each other. So for instance, when it comes to hanging up the mezuzah on our doorposts, one of them said that the mezuzah should be straight up. The other said it should be horizontal. So now we usually put it on a doorpost vertically as a compromise. So they're often in conflict and they were in conflict so much that it says at one point a heavenly voice came down and said that both Hillel and Shammai were right, but Hillel was more right and his school was the tradition that would be followed 
because the students of Hillel were more humble and kind and included the opinion of Shammai in their discussions. So what can we learn from this? As Joseph Telushkin says, we learn that the reason Hillel was picked was not because he was right, they were both right, but his school of thought was picked to be followed because they listened to both sides and they were humble. By listening to both sides, they were able to make a really informed decision. Telushkin says, for us too, we should take care to engage with people who think differently from us. I'm sure everyone who's listening right now thinks this is so politically. And absolutely, politically, we should be open to reading and listening to and talking with people who differ from us with a true open mind, because often the other side has good points and has good solutions, even if they don't have it in totality. And even if they're missing a part, well, maybe we can give them that missing part, but we can only give them that missing part if we listen. But if we all just stay in our little camps, that's not going to happen. But it's also true for non-political things when it comes to a relationship between husband and wife or between friends. We have to listen to what the other person's saying and understand their point of view. And it will help us better understand our point of view and open our minds to something new. So as in this case, with Cougar Town, making me think about people who say they're spiritual and not religious, which again is not a mind frame that I have, but it is one that a lot of people have. So now I'm thinking about it and where it comes from and trying instead of knocking people or judging them for having this different way of thinking, trying to understand why they have that way of thinking, because a lot of people do think and feel that way. So it must come from somewhere and it's probably not all bad. Wow, I did not anticipate that Cougar Town would be so rich for moral discussion, but there you go. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, highly recommend Cougar Town. It's on Hulu. Enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And I guess the takeaway for today is to be open-minded and listen to people who think and feel differently because they might have something to offer. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you always get the most recent episode directly to your phone. Also, please leave a rating and a review. And remember, always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!